Young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast with me, Ben James, my co-host Jacob Stain. This is an episode we recorded back in 2019. Previously, we've given a lot of background uh, about our inspiration behind Smart Strong and some of the people that have had an influence on us in the direction we've taken with regards back health, rehabilitation and functional training. Uh, and one of those people is Professor Stuart McGill, who has spent over 30 years over in Canada doing research uh, into the biomechanics of the back and understanding and really getting into the detail of the mechanisms behind a lot of the problems that we're seeing and and really just how we treat the low back effectively. And we had the opportunity to go out to Eindhoven over in Holland and spend uh, well, four days, up to four days uh, on his course recently. And we felt it would be good to discuss that, to discuss our experience and discuss some of the takeaway messages that we uh, we got from that event. So, Jacob, you've done the course before um, McGill 1 and 2. Is that right? I've done McGill one or two, yeah. I've done, a, I've done it a couple of times, actually. You've done it a couple of times before. Always out in Holland? Were you out in Holland previously? Um, I did one in Holland and I did one in England. Um, okay, yeah, down in yeah. Bournemouth. Down in Bournemouth, yes. Okay, quite a, right. quite, a, quite a while ago, actually. Um, cause yeah, that's... of course. That's when you first, uh, first went to see him because your own back problem with your disc herniation, right? Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. So I went to the the four days. Jacob, you joined for for McGill uh, two and three this time, having having done the other stuff previously. Because it's fair to say the first the first couple of days or McGill one is very much around uh, a bit of an introduction, really laying the the foundation and the background in terms of anatomy, in terms of some of the research behind um, the approach that. Professor McGill takes with back pain and a lot of that we it's fair to say we we learn at college uh, during our chiropractic studies uh, but it's certainly interesting to get another perspective on uh, on his approach that's it I think um, doing the course that we did this weekend takes us a little bit deeper into the understanding of the McGill method and um, we learn about it in college, but we learn more, we, we learn the basics and, you know, y- you need to pass an exam. Yeah. And uh, like we've said many times, the real learning really starts when you finish college and you start seeing patients. So applying yeah. applying the stuff we learn from him and especially the stuff that we get from his uh, courses really makes it interesting. And um, for me, I think... A big part of it is actually doing it alongside the chiropractic really enhances the effect I have with my patients. Yeah, yeah, because I I mean, as we said, there's there's very much a movement based approach. And I think it's important to say that, you know, Professor McGill would would openly admit, as as we know, that he's not actually a clinician by background, which I think is is an interesting point. He's 
uh, a biomechanist and, and a researcher and has spent many, many years and has, has a wealth of experience in uh, helping patients with back pain and he often sees a lot of difficult patients i think he said he gets around 200 emails a day from around the world so it just goes to show you know the level of influence and the experience that the guy has in terms of helping manage uh, some really complex back back um patients but i think what what stood out for me is the focus and so much time spent on that initial assessment and and really uh, getting out the detail from the patient about the underlying problem and he talks about the three-hour assessment to uncover that information you know talking about all those different movements and activities because as we know it can be something that someone's doing on a daily basis repetitively that is causing the problem that if you're not really going into that level of detail and if you're not looking at those movement patterns whether it's just observing someone tying their shoelaces or picking something off the floor all those little things that could be contributing to the ongoing problem then you're going to find it very very difficult to treat a patient effectively and that stood out to me because when you really look certainly in the UK if you went to see a primary physician a a gp a general practitioner those guys are under so much pressure to see a patient in 10 minutes or or less yeah so how are they ever going to be able to help a patient with back pain and similarly what about other practitioners that maybe are just taking 30 minutes to an hour yeah yeah i i agree with you i mean i we've known for quite a few years now that he says it's basically impossible to do it under i think he said three hours yep I can't, yeah and um everybody always goes like whoa what how the how should you have three hours <laughs> you can yeah. do a lot in three hours but um i think that uh, it's a very good point you know if you want to if you want to do a proper assessment and you don't want to rush things and you want to know what exactly is going on, then you need to be able to take your time. And I think that I'm I'm not exactly sure how Professor McGill does it. You know, I mean, uh, it would be great to observe him sometime and actually see, um, you know, he's, I mean, we've we've got the order of the the tests and we have the, the form that he uses that he fills in when he, when he does the assessment. But, Still, I would I would really like to see how he does it. But my question really is, does he also give the correctives, the corrective exercises and the advice in the three hours, um, knowing that he only usually sees somebody once and then he writes a report. And like you mentioned, he, he sees the patient together with their clinician or the therapist, and then he sends them off with the therapist or, or clinician to, to carry on basically what he instructed them to do. So I wonder if he does yeah, yeah. all of that in, in three hours, you know, or if he only does the assessment uh, in three hours. But still, I think, the like you said, the emphasis there is really on, on doing a proper job, actually really finding the, the cause of the problem. And I think doing it in such a way that, makes it very clear 
to the patient that this is the problem because again like he mentioned so many times and you know this man if you don't remove the the causative factor if you don't remove what causes the problem then you have a very difficult time actually finding a solution for the problem and i think removing the problem is often more difficult than we think because we have to create this understanding in in the head of the patient that this is causing your problem and we need to make sure that you move around this uh causative factor mm-hmm. for a lot of people it might be as like it might be driving to work yeah and 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 i've had patients where i you know i said to them, look we have a disc we have a disc issue starting here this disc in your low back between the vertebrae is not happy and we need to limit the stress that that goes through this part of your body and driving at this moment is really not a good idea i really suggest you 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 try to work from home or you take a week at least maybe more where you don't go to work because if this progresses we we're going to have a much more difficult situation to deal with and in that instance just jumping in with that patient um particular patient driving long distances as opposed to just maybe a 10 minute commute or 20 minute commute because exactly. that you know that patient we could say well make sure that you wake up a little bit earlier and go for a walk as we've suggested before you know the first 30 minutes that they go for a walk then get in your car and do that small commute you're going to be okay for that short period of time but if you're a, any longer duration we've got to try and manage that and avoid avoid that activity so i suppose the contrast to that is if, if they're on a two-hour commute or they're on a two-hour drive well That's you right. either avoid it and try and work from home as you say or you've got to try as impractical as it may seem to drive for 30 minutes take a break and plan that journey properly yes. yep. because oh, you're just going to compound the issue and and this is where you've got to challenge back and push back on employers if if required to say this is the advice i've been given this is what i need to do because any uh, soft tissue work joint adjustments even exercises that are, are going to be help. beneficial none of that's going to help if you keep compounding the issue by yeah. aggravating that tissue and i think that's where um uh, Stuart McGill was saying that you know when he does that three hours I think he he really really does challenge the patient because this yeah. is for key for me this is where there has to be some responsibility I know we've said it before on podcasts there has to be some responsibility and you and I both observed uh, Professor McGill discussing the back pain of of one of the um, delegates at the conference that Spanish lady yes and was she Spanish was or... she was determined well I need to I want to continue swimming and yeah. it gradually, over a five-minute conversation, he had to get to the point where he said, just stop it. This yeah. has to stop. You know, until we get on top of this back problem, until we avoid these issues, yeah. you're not going swimming. And if you are, yeah. your back's going to get worse or it's certainly not going to get better. So you've yeah. got to take control. Let me just, just a little bit of background on that topic. Um, they did the heel drop test with this lady where you keep yeah. the knees locked, standing. Going onto the toes, you drop the heels down onto the floor. So the full body weight comes onto the heels, onto the floor. And if there's any uh, sensitivity to com- to compressive force in the lower back, you'll feel pain, whether that's a disc or an end plate or anything with, a, with the vertebrae. And this lady, she did the heel drop test and she nearly fell to the ground. Yeah. She nearly, because of the pain. And she's, 
she's not overweight. She looked fairly healthy to me. She was in really good shape. She's a personal trainer. So, like you said, it was very interesting for, for both of us. We discussed this afterwards, how Dr. Mc, uh, Professor McGill had to stop this lady in her thought pattern of, I want to do this, I want to do that. And mm-hmm. he said to her, no, stop it, stop it. He got really agitated and told her, no, you need to stop, you know? Yeah. You need to go, you need to, in your head, take a different route to allow the healing. He said to her, you need at least a year of recovering before you can get back to anything like swimming, which is going to cause micro movements and then anything that's going to irritate or get in the way of the instability, which doesn't allow her to heal the discal problem that she has. That was very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, because because we get it. We get what people people want to get back to the activities they love. That that's the key aim to to smart strong. Sometimes that might be quite quick. Sometimes that's going to be prolonged because you yeah. know you've got an underlying problem that needs some work, and a lot of it is about stability and regaining that core strength. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to say, Jacob, what did you? No, I just wanted to say um, maybe let's uh, speak a little bit more about the course hmm. and. Um, interesting things we 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 did on that so the first two days you did the mcgill one and what was it called ben so it really that was laying the foundation um okay. so you know we were, we were very much talking about the the research and about the uh anatomy and a lot of the findings and that that professor mcgill has uh, you know established over over the many years of research as well as a lot of the other um researchers and uh also clinicians that you know he's followed respected and knows those very well um but it was all putting into context you know the following couple of days when we were then going to assess and uh, you know form treatment plans exercise movement based treatment plans for um back pain sufferers you know so for example we we've talked in uh, some of our podcasts around the anatomy and um you know one thing professor McGill was saying was look let's look at the the musculature of the back you know the extensor muscles the the, the resistance to to shear movement so those vertebrae trying to slide across one another forward forward anteriorly those muscles don't act as effectively if you're out of your neutral spine so again back to really put in evidence behind why that neutral spine is so important you know your your muscles are designed to work in a certain way and the and the angles that they pull and that they work and the fibers are orientated are all designed um to work effectively when we are moving effectively if that makes sense so again it's put in evidence behind the neutral spine behind a lot of these activities talked a lot about the hips you know we we Often, again, if you're looking at the, the time that some of the clinicians are taking to observe, assess their patients, are they actually looking at the hips? Hips are fundamentally important to the lower back. Yes, you know, if those yes, hips yes. can be causing the pain, they can be the cause of the pain because we know that they can refer yep. pain. Uh, you know, what are, what's the movement of those hips, particularly in athletes? You know, is there a symmetries between those hips? You know, yes, no. If there is, is that contributing to a change in movement? that is then leading to that back pain. How can we solve the back pain if we don't solve the hips, yep. ankles, posture, um, balance, 
all these different factors that lay the foundation and give us real insight into just what is the baseline of that patient you know so and then we talked a lot about the different um the different areas of injury we talked about the disc the classic signs and symptoms of disc injury and the causative factors of disc injury we talked about some of the other uh, conditions that we just need to be aware of as always as clinicians during our training it was very much around spotting those red flags um but also one of the things that that we talked about in those first couple of days was further imaging we often see that patients will you know have been to see numerous different people they'll they'll come in with an x-ray or they'll come in with an mri and they'll point to that mri and say this so that's where my damage is or the radiographer has said so there's a loss at disc height at l4 l5 or there's a retrolisthesis or whatever it might be that's got to be the cause of your problem and what professor mcgill was saying well not necessarily, you know, as always, it, it depends because that yeah. could be an old injury that could have stabilized, exactly. that could have gristled. And actually the problems may be being yeah. caused by that, but it's higher up or lower down. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, don't be, as a clinician, don't be um, influenced too much by further imaging. And I would suggest one of my takeout messages was great. If you've got an image in there, perfect. Let's look at that after we've done an assessment. Let's exactly. not let that influence us too much. Let's not let that you, cloud the water, as it were. You, exactly. Use it, use it to correlate exactly. the finding. You know, you've, after you've made the, the hypothesis from a, a very good interview and then you use the testing to actually try to confirm that and then use the, the imaging to, to correlate with what you found. But, Absolutely. But like you said, if you look at imaging first, uh, we're not saying that imaging is not important. It's massively no. important. But if you look at imaging first and you do the typical radio radiological uh, thing of, oh, oh, look, you've got some DJD, you've got some degeneration of a disc here or loss of disc height, or you've got uh, maybe an anomaly, a change in the spine here that's not normal. Um, that might be an old, in most cases, it is an old uh, happening and that's it's the body has absorbed it it's it's perfectly fine you don't mm-hmm. even feel that it's something most likely something completely different or if it is a disc uh, height loss you know do you see a fissure do you see mm-hmm. um, a fresh leakage of the of the nucleus pulposus through the disc posteriorly and many times this is overlooked and um, Mc- Professor McGill spoke of this quite a lot, actually. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, and he was very passionate as well about the, the this concept of degenerative disc disease or degenerative <laughs> joint disease, you know, and, and patients have just been, oh, you've got non-specific low back pain. doesn't exist. There's always a cause. You know, we reiterate this, you know, throughout our yeah. uh, our messaging. Yeah. But the the <laughs> what put it nicely into perspective for me is... You know, we, we, we all get old, we all age, our joints age, you know, within time, we're going to see degeneration at joints. You know, some of that might be, you know, more than in others because of injury, etc. But we get older. And, and as Professor McGill said, you know, if you went to see your mother-in-law, she's going to get older. She's going to look a bit older, but you're never going to say to her, you've got degenerative face disease. <laughs> so so why are we saying why are we just labeling degenerative joint disease for the back you know we don't do that for the knees we don't do that for the ankles so it just seems to be something that again 
seems like we develop a disease as we get older. Well, yeah, exactly. And also, <laughs> you know, is it just the easy the easy route to to giving the patient some information? You know, we want to give them some form of diagnosis. That seems to be what pe- patients focus on. You know, I want to I want to know what's the cause of the problem. And oh, degenerative joint disease, but actually that doesn't help them because how does that make a patient feel? Oh, so I've got degenerative joint disease. So that that's a one-way street. That means yeah. I was just going to progressively get worse. But I think he was really passionate about saying, look, that just doesn't exist. You know, we see we see degenerative changes, but that's not specifically the cause of your problem. Uh, and also, let's not let's not focus too much on the the tissue of injury. You know, it might be disc, it might be facet joint, it might be. Let's identify those movements that are causing the pain. Let's take those away first, because yeah, in doing that. We don't have to worry so much about the tissue. Let's not get hung up on the tissue, but let's look at the movement patterns that are causing yeah. pain. And, and let's look at let's let's establish which uh, dysfunctions or dysfunctional movements are causing those tissues to be irritated, and let's fix those. So that exactly, and that's and that's where day two, or, or sorry, McGill two, the the um, Saturday um, yeah. day was McGill, focused on. That that was the assessment of the exactly. of the back pain patient to obtain. A precise diagnosis. Was... Yeah, so that's where we were moving into all these different uh, movement patterns and observations and uh, assessing the hips and scouring the hips and also taking a consideration of um, genetics. For example, you know, you might see a patient that likes to go to the gym. They like to squat, and they go to the gym with a with a buddy, and they both squat, and they're both trying to squat to the same depth. But actually, genetics shows that people of Polish descent or that way, they have much more capacity because of the structure of the hip joint. And that's not, you know, sweeping generalization to everyone from that that part of the world. But as a rule, they can squat deep without a problem. Whereas those of Celtic descent, you find that if you're doing that hip um, assessment, their their hips aren't really flexing to more than 90 degrees comfortably so if that person's trying to get to the same depth as their friend in the gym then what you're going to introduce you're going to introduce flexion of the low back you're going to increase your risk of back pain so it was all these little nuggets of information that uh, are so important when doing that assessment to try and identify well Okay, what's causing the pain, but also what could be contributing to this problem? What could have started this problem in the first place? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, and that's what we did on that uh, Saturday. We we went through all the well the differential diagnosis of all the possible back problems, and that that was very good, you know, to get a little bit of an oversight of the the, the main things that you most likely will see in the practice, the things that we do see in practice. And then, you know, the, the slightly less common things, but also things that you, if you look well enough and you do good testing, you will come across. And then, of course, there are the um, things that we, we hardly ever see. Uh, but if you know of them and you know how to test for them, uh, which, you know, I have to be frank about this, not a lot of clinicians even really know how to properly test for but if you do, then, you know, if you can't come out on a different diagnosis, you have to go to these possibilities, you will be able to find them. And that, that was very good to see. Mm. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we, we looked at how 
Professor McGill does it. We had his assessment form, and um, the interesting thing for me was, uh, like he said, okay, so he has an assessment form, but he said your assessment really is led by by the findings. And yes. I think that's where where a lot of clinicians, you know, they have a they have a system. Yeah. Therapists or clinicians they have a system that they put people through in terms of testing, and then they 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 kind of make a diagnosis based on what came from this this system. Yeah, um, and and sorry to just jump in. I mean, yeah. I think the system's fine initially when you're saying okay you've done all a thorough history with the patient and then maybe you test in neurology or you're testing blood pressure or all these different things a system's good for the ruling out of red flags no problem you know yes absolutely but then yeah. once you've got past that stage it's all about the individual you know and and that's why you know to the extent that you know we're assessing ab- abdominal endurance you know that's going to change for different people. You know, you might put them into the plank position. You're not going to put everyone in the plank position. 70-year-old lady, you're going to do something different. Sports person, you might put them in the plank position. Let's test the endurance of those abdominal muscles. Actually, they're really weak. And you're trying to do this explosive exercise. Well, if you're trying to do that repetitively and your abdominals are telling me that your endurance isn't there, then what's the risk? The risk is suddenly during that explosive movement, throughout your sporting activities you're going to introduce twisting around the spine because your muscles are becoming fatigued but it's it's taking the time and taking the direction that maybe that different sport is in tennis player versus power lifter uh badminton player versus soccer player etc etc like you say you've got to take a very uh, you've got to be very flexible in your approach and you've got to really have that vision to to take it down the road, as it were, that that you need to take it down for the individual during that specific assessment, and I think that that really came through from what Professor McGill was saying, because a lot of the guys um, at the conference, you know, naturally, I guess, were saying, oh, "Okay, what would you do in this instance? What would you do in this instance?" And as Professor McGill repeatedly said, it depends because people yeah. are different, and and yeah. again, people just seem to want this system. Yeah. Okay, how do I how do I put Professor McGill's work together in a system that I can remember? Yeah. It's never going to work. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's like you see a really good exercise. You you know we know when we see a really high level rehab uh, exercise, but you know you you can't just use that exercise. It needs to be appropriate. And I really like the saying that McGill had. <clears throat> There is no bad exercise, just one one inappropriate for the goal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that's going to stay with me, man, because yeah. I um I you know that's really well put, and that that's you know a lot of people will will criticize uh, Professor McGill for this um, resistance that people say that uh, Professor McGill has against flexion of the spine for example mm-hmm. doing uh, crazy sit-ups and you know uh, back bends and stuff like that especially when it comes to which he then says if you use that to build strength you're not actually building strength you know you're not building um, stability in your spine and but that's what he said he will not tell you that you shouldn't do that it's just you know but- you need you need to look at what is appropriate for the goal exactly and i think you know um joel who was who was also one of the um 
trainers and has worked alongside um, Professor McGill for many years gave a great example of this. Um, you know, where again, back to what you're saying that we're not saying don't do these exercises or activities, you know, for some people, maybe we don't, for example, you know, if you're not a high performance athlete and you're going to the gym every day and one of the exercises you're doing to train the abdominal muscles is a sit up, then avoid the sit up. We can give you much better exercises that are going to train the strength and endurance of your abdominal muscles that are not involving a sit up that is compromising your lower back. For example, stir the pot. You know, fantastic exercise keeps your spine in neutral, takes all that pressure out. But you're going to get those athletes that, as they say, have to make certain sacrifices. For example, a cyclist. If you look at any high performance cyclist in the Tour de France, what's the posture of their spine for, for days? They're in a flex posture, their spine are bent. And what Joel was saying was, and Professor McGill was saying, we're not going to tell those guys that they can't do that. You know, we, we can advise them that, that it's not healthy, but you can't really avoid that if you want to be a high-performance cyclist. Yeah. But we don't need to train those muscles in that position. So what we can do is still do stir-the-pot exercise. We can do all these different exercises that are going to build the strength of the abdominal muscles. And then when you go to do that exercise and that cycling event, your abs are really strong, but you've trained them in a much more healthy way for your spine. And therefore, you're much more resilient when you're on the bike in that position. Exactly. And that was that, that kind of theory of flexion moment to flexion movement. And the yeah. moment is where Tra we're looking for. Training the yeah, yeah. Training the and, and like Joel said, in the great example of the, the guy that he'd, he'd um, been working with that had back pain for um, a long time, he'd been working with him and he trained him up and he was getting stronger and the guy who phoned him and said oh look i've got a problem uh, everything's been great but i want to join the royal marines and still one of the tests for the royal marines is one minute sit-up performance sit -up. how many how many sit-ups can you do in a minute and he said that's going to cause me a lot of problems and like joel said well no we're going to train you with these exercises that are going to be far far more effective to your abs and then yeah. when you go and do that one-off test, with, you're going to smash with, it. With no, with no, yeah. With, so they were training no flexion, exactly. no extension, just building stability between the shoulders and hips. And then when he had to do his minute-long sit-ups, it was he didn't feel a thing in his back because he didn't. was just so resilient and the spine was so healthy, he could just he could nail it. Exactly. And and the, and and in doing that performance test, you know, as a one-off, your back's going to you know not be compromised you're going to be you're going to be okay but for those athletes for those athletes that are doing these activities that that do put you at certain risk that's that's a trade-off you know you've got to take but yeah. for guys that are in back so, pain that aren't at high performance you know there are activities so, and exercises we can definitely avoid i just want to um uh it's almost time to finish up but i want to um just get back to what you said about the flexion moment training the flexion moment instead of the the actual movement, we're focusing on training anti-flexion, just to make it clear, and anti-extension and anti-rotation. So that's what we do. We want to train the obviously the the brain and in combination with the brain the 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 the, the core, uh, the trunk in between the shoulders and the hips to resist the flexion and to resist the extension. You know, creating stiffness and to resist the rotation of the shoulders on the hips. That's where the power comes from, being able to stiffen between the shoulders and the hips 
generating the power from the hips or the shoulders, the ball and socket joints. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and that leads to if we train in a good way with a neutral spine, generally it doesn't always have to be exactly neutral depending on the sport, but if you do that, then you create this resilience that's going to allow you to, for example, sit for a long time on a bike. Or, exactly. uh, or, or or go into a, a competitive sport like uh, MMA where you fight, where there's a lot of jiu-jitsu movement um, coming through the spine when you when you when you have to fight, and uh, you'll be more resilient. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, talking about athletic performance and um, you know, in the back and uh, etc. is is beyond the scope of this podcast because there's a lot of information. Um, that we could cover, but I think you know we both experienced on uh, the third um, seminar, McGill uh, three or the fourth day. I was going to say the third day, but there's a fourth day. Yeah. Some of the exercises that were introduced were phenomenal in terms of the you know the effort and the work that you had to do. And yet a lot of people would say, yeah, but you're not putting a lot of resistance behind that or you're not lifting heavy weight. There's a lot of work that you could do with your own body weight that is going to be so, so good in terms of core training and strength. And I think that's that's maybe a good place for us to leave it on. That If you are someone that has had back pain or has back issues and you are going to the gym, you really need to make a consideration of the exercises and you really need to challenge the trainers because I think one of the other take-home messages for me was there's a lot of exercises out there that we should be avoiding. There's a lot of exercises that we could be doing that are going to be far more challenging, are going to be far more beneficial for your spine and your overall health and are going to be far more beneficial in terms of training your neurology and movement that really that level of professionalism in the fitness industry needs to be challenged a little bit and it was great to see a lot of personal trainers there at the event at the conference yeah, it was especially on the last day i was i was so there was 110 people on the last day we were in this sorry to interrupt you ben no no it's good. We, we, we were in this amazing gym i was i was very impressed yeah. you know i'm quite critical when it comes to gyms <laughs> I, uh, but i was um I was very, I was actually quite impressed with it. Um, I, I did tell you, Ben, I wanted to make a few changes to make it even better, but uh, that's just me. But, <laughs> but, but it was nice to be in such, such, <laughs> such a gym. And, um, uh, and, and, and then, you know, doing these things with, uh, on a course, it, it was just, it, yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it was good. But, uh, and, and I just want to say, um, Another quote that I got this weekend from uh, from Professor McGill and uh, Joel Joel Proskovich um, and Ed Cambridge, they said, you know, athletes or sporters they chase a mythical idea of athleticism. Yes, and 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 that's you know I'm going to say that again. Sporters or athletes they chase a mythical idea of athleticism, and and just to elaborate a little bit on that, it, the idea we sometimes have of what we should do or what we are training for is not clear. Mm-hmm. So my, 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 my message there is just for, for, for you, the listener to think about what, what, why, why are you training? What's the idea? I mean, we're What's training the goal? for life. Yeah. We're training for life. We're training to enhance our capabilities and our everyday 
enjoyment of feeling good and feeling fit and enjoying our body, don't break yourself in the process. No, exactly, no. exactly. And but, and that yeah. involve and that again back to that challenge of clinicians we've talked about before, but challenge those uh, you know health professionals and personal trainers that is the activity you're doing correct. And if they can't give you some of the good theory behind it, then you really need to be doing your own research or finding somebody that, that can give you that honest guidance because it is so important. And, you know, we are at risk every time we go into the gym, if we're not doing things properly. And like you say, you know, identify the goal, um, establish why that goal is, you know, is a focus for you and then develop the right movements and, and exercise to, align to that goal that's going to be healthy for your spine don't put yourself in a compromised position Um, and 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 sorry to interrupt but i want to say maybe if you need help find somebody to help you with that yeah Uh, find somebody who's familiar with the mcgill method it's it's the most research-based uh way of building core strength in the world actually professor Stuart mcgill is regarded as the leading spinal biomechanic researcher in in the world so um you know, you it's it's don't go blind into a uh, mythical idea of what's good for you, and no. and break yourself. Down. Yeah. And I think before we finish, Jacob, we we have to just say, um, at one point during that day three, someone was called out to do the hundred uh, percent neural drive for their abdominal muscles. mr jacob stain take the floor (laughs) but that just shows doesn't it i mean just for the listeners um this exercise you were you were in the press up position and then you walked your arms out straight right so you're you're basically you've got your your feet and your hands on the floor and you're you're in a standing position as it were um, with your arms above your head chest to the floor just above the floor but yeah <laughs> but it just shows though how much you've invested in yourself in the last well will it be seven eight years so, now since your since your back issue to get that core strength to the level that it is now that you're able to do that exercise which was which was pretty impressive i've i've trained you well and yeah <laughs> and I worked hard for it. <laughs> you worked hard for it but the resilience now to to that you, you said um during the weekend i think you said it to everybody when um when you've done that exercise you know that you won't get back pain now you won't, you know you won't get a back problem because you've got such awareness now and you've got yeah. such control of those muscles uh, and yeah. you know my wife says to me you know you're so, for for me personally as well, because I've done a lot of work around the core strength and functional training with your advice with Professor McGill's um, work, that you you've got such you know how to move, you've got such an awareness of the body, and I think that puts us in such a great position of resilience to future injury. Also gives us a great opportunity to advise a lot of people who you can see moving badly, but it does take time and it does take effort. But you've you've clearly taken the time to 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 build that resilience because it's so important you recognize just what an impact it had on you so yeah well said that's true yeah absolutely awesome well i think that's a great place to stop i think it's been good to put into context uh the seminar uh, a little bit of the uh, again uh, work that we do to continually develop 
and and certainly Stuart McGill is someone that we we both respect. There's a lot of information out there that that is that is poor, but certainly the the research and the the many years he spent uh, um, in this area has 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 really helped a lot of people, and and will continue to do so. So great legacy there. Yeah. Um, so again, listeners, thank you for listening in, and uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, keep listening. Uh, give us some uh, feedback on on iTunes. It's always great to get some um, some comments. Helps with the ratings, and jump over on the website because a lot of great information and videos that that are going to help you out. And uh, we'll be back soon.